If you have your Bible, would you turn to the book of John chapter 14? John chapter 14, it's page 764 in the Bibles the church provides. John chapter 14. And in the Gospel of John, we have been looking this summer at what's known as the Upper Room Discourse. This is the last major teaching that Jesus gives to his disciples before he goes to the cross and then ascends to heaven. Remember, this teaching takes place on Thursday night, right before Good Friday that the next day Jesus will be crucified. And so in this teaching, what we have are some of the most urgent things that Jesus wants to get across, not only to his 12 disciples, but to us today. And he wants especially for them to understand these things in light of the fact that Jesus was no longer going to be physically present with them in the same way he's not physically present with us today. And so these teachings have a special place for us today because they are addressing the underlying issue, how do we live when Jesus is not physically here with us? Well, let me review what he's taught us so far in this teaching in John 14. Jesus began by telling his disciples and us that it was necessary for him to leave in order that he go to heaven to prepare a place for us. That at this moment, as we speak, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, he is currently in heaven preparing a place for you and for me, as well as preparing us now for that place. From that point, Jesus moved on and began to talk about how it is that he is the way to heaven, the only way that before Jesus there was no way at all. And now through Jesus, he himself is the way by which we can come to the Father. Last week we talked about how because Jesus has left and ascended to heaven, he is now at God the Father's right hand. And as he sits there, we are able to pray to him in his name and ask him to do things and he will ask the Father. And when the Father does what we've asked, then the people around us will see Jesus and will know that this invisible God does exist. And the idea is, is that as we pray and as we live our lives in such a way that we are obedient and we live out our lives, that the people around us come to see God in and through us. Well, that idea of people observing our lives brings to mind the very famous quote by William Shakespeare. He said, all the world's a stage. Men and women are merely players. The idea is, is that the world is a stage and unfolding on that stage is the drama of history. That the things that are happening in this world are part of a a big story. And you and I, we're players in that story. We are acting out our lives on a stage, and this means other people are watching us. Other people see what we do. Well, this idea that all the world's a stage 
and that we are living out the drama of history brings up the sort of metaphor or idea of theater. And I'd like to use that idea, thinking about life as part of a great dramatic story to help us understand the next teaching that Jesus has for us in the Upper Room Discourse. So in John chapter 14, I'm going to read verses 15 to 26 as we think about the fact that we are living our lives on a stage of human history. Verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now that was future tense when Jesus said it. It's now present tense for us, that he is in us. I will not leave you as orphans, verse 18. I will come to you in and through the Holy Spirit. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the, my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us, through the Holy Spirit, and not to the world? Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. Verse 26. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Now here in this passage, the idea of obedience is very important. You've hopefully heard that word coming out and that idea coming out. And the thought is, is that if all the world's a stage, as we live out our lives in obedience to God, then people see God in and through the actions that we're doing. Now to accomplish that or to help that happen, help us obey, to help us live out our lives in accordance with God's will, Jesus introduces to us the person we know as the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son. And here Jesus introduces God the Holy Spirit, that somehow he is central to our obedience in living out the will of God on the stage of human history for people to see God in us. Now, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit 
another counselor. Now, the Greek word that's translated counselor is a broad and deep and beautiful word, and it's really hard to find one English counterpart that matches it. When you say counselor, it can bring to mind what you and I think of in modern-day counseling, a counselor we might make an appointment to go and see to help us through difficult periods of life. That is part of the image, but there's much more to it than this. That the language here implies not just counseling, but teaching and rebuking and correcting and leading and guiding and directing. That this idea is, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is going to be helping you live life in such a way that you are in obedience. So using the metaphor of theater, the sort of idea of living out the play of human history, I'd like to explain more fully the image and picture that Jesus is giving us of the Holy Spirit and his role in our lives today. Now, throughout the, uh, the, the, the upper room discourse, as Jesus is teaching his disciples, he has many things to say about the Holy Spirit. He says to us in this verse, that he, in, in this passage, in verses 16, 17, and 26, that he is another counselor, that he is here to lead us and to guide us. So I want us to think for a moment about a production or a play and to think about the roles that each would play in that. So what I mean is, is as we think about God, God exists, we believe, as one God, eternally existing in three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If we think about human history as one great drama that's happening, then God the Father is the producer of the play. He's the one who is sovereign over everything. He's the one who's planned what's going to happen, and he's the one who's responsible for the execution of history. It's under his control. That's the role that God the Father plays in the drama of human history. What then is the role of God the Son, of Jesus Christ? Well, if God the Father is the producer, Jesus is the star actor. He's the main character. That history is about him. That the things that come before and the things that come after are all about Jesus and that God the Father is producing the story of history and Jesus is starring in it. Now, you and I have roles, but we're the supporting cast. We're here to support the lead actor, to make him look good, Amen. to play our roles in such a way that the spotlight is on him. And as God unfolds his plan for history, and it stars the person of Jesus, we come alongside and we live our lives in obedience to God so that we might bring attention and glory and honor to Jesus whom the play is ultimately about. Well, if God the Father is the producer and Jesus is the 
lead actor in which we appear in supporting roles. What is the role of the Holy Spirit who Jesus introduces to us in this passage? He is the writer-director. The Holy Spirit plays the role of writer-director in the drama of human history. Now Jesus says a lot of things about the Holy Spirit in this passage that we're looking at. Three major things he gives us in John chapter 14, John chapters 14 through 16 are that the counselor, chapter 14, verse 26, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said. The Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. What Jesus is saying here is that the Holy Spirit's job is to guide us into all truth. To understand what that means, I want us to think about him as the writer-director of the play of human history. Now there are three things about, Jesus, or about the Holy Spirit's role as writer-director that I want to cover with you this morning. The first is that the Holy Spirit is the one who writes the script for the play. That in the theater of life, the Holy Spirit is the one who has written the script that we are to follow. And that script is known as the Bible. According to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 to 21, it says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture, nothing in the Scriptures, came about by the prophet's own interpretation, meaning that humans didn't just sit down and say, I'm just going to write some things I feel like writing. Instead, because that's because prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit was inspiring through human authors the words of the script, the things that we have here in the Bible. He's the writer of the script. After all, every week in our benediction we say, Jesus did many other miraculous signs which are not recorded in this book, but these were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Well, who made the decision as to which signs should be written down and which ones shouldn't? It's the Holy Spirit. He's the one who decided which of Jesus' miracles belonged in the Gospel of John. And so he inspired John to write those down. He is the author of the script, which is the Bible. Now, what's the purpose of the Bible? Well, we're told its purpose in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, or all Scripture is God-breathed, that is directed and written by the Holy Spirit, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God 
may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, so that the actors, you and I, can know how to act. So that we can know the roles that we're playing, so that we can understand how it is we're supposed to live this out in the drama that's unfolding. For example, when we read in our Bibles, honor your father and mother, thinking of it in terms of theater, when we read that, we recognize that we are playing the role of parent honoring children. That's the role we're playing. The Spirit is the one who gives us that direction. And when we read those words, we're not just memorizing lines on a script. We are getting into character. And we want to live out the character of a parent honoring child. That's what the Holy Spirit has done, is he's written the script for us. So that when we read the script, we know the character that we're playing and how it is that we are required to live this out in our lives today. So the first thing that the Holy Spirit does in the drama of human history is that he's the writer of the script. The second thing that's true of the Holy Spirit is that he's not only the writer of the script, he's the interpreter of the script. He's the one who helps us understand what it means. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truth in spiritual words. The Spirit is the one who not only writes the script, He's the one who tells us what it means. So that when we come across the statement in our script that says, honor your father and mother, the Holy Spirit is the one who explains what that means. He tells us what the word honor means. He explains to us that he wrote honor and not obey. So that for adult children, when we honor our father and mothers, that's different than obeying our fathers and mothers. The Spirit is the one who interprets the script and explains it to us. How does he do it? Well, as we study his word, as we memorize it, as we meditate on it, as we discuss it in small groups, as we listen to it preached, this is the Spirit explaining what it is that he wrote in the script. For example, this week, when I came to this passage, I read the words very clearly, but then I had to figure out, well, what does Jesus mean when he says that the Holy Spirit is another counselor? What is the role of the Holy Spirit? And so I translated through the passage, and I read lots of commentaries, and I talked to lots of people, and perhaps most importantly of all, I and many others prayed earnestly for the Holy Spirit to explain it. As an aside, by a show of hands, how many of you this week prayed specifically for me and for this sermon? Would you raise your hand? Okay, hold, keep them up for a second. Look around the congregation. 
if God speaks to you through these sermons, these are the people that you have to thank. And we would invite you to join with us in praying that the Spirit would speak. Because somewhere in the middle of the week, in the midst of some frustration and trying to think, how in the world do I teach this stuff? Somehow I felt led to use this analogy of theater and to use an explanation of the Spirit as writer-director. And so what's happening here this morning is, Lord willing, the Spirit is speaking, helping us understand what this means. He didn't just write it. He's here explaining it and interpreting it so that when we read in our script, honor father and mother, the Spirit comes up and says, here's what I mean when I wrote that. This is what that looks like. Okay, there is a third way in which the Spirit has an important role in the drama that is unfolding on the world's stage. He not only writes the script, he not only helps us interpret the script, he is number three, directing the play. That he's the one who is directing what happens. You see, the Holy Spirit is not just sort of the cue boy, who if you forget your line, you say, line please, and he gives it to you. That's not what he's doing. What he's doing is, is that when you come to some point in the script that says, honor your father and mother, and you try to get into character, and you try to live that out, the Spirit is the director who comes in and says, no, 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 you're not doing that right. If you want to honor your father and mother, this is how you live it out. This is what I want to see from you. This is the kind of motivation you should have for this part. This is how you should act that out. So when you hear honor your father and mother, and there's that prompting in your spirit that says, hey, you know what? You ought to call your parents this week and take them to lunch. That's the Holy Spirit directing the play. He's telling you not just the words, but how to live them out. You may have experienced this yourself. This whole year we've been asking people to pray for three non-Christian friends or relatives that you know. At some point, you may have felt the Spirit impressing upon you the name of someone you should be praying for. Maybe it was through a chance encounter. Maybe it was through this name that you just couldn't get out of your head. Maybe it was just in simple wise reflection as you sat down and thought, who are the non-Christians in my life that I desperately want to see come to faith? Whatever it was, it's the Spirit speaking to your soul, saying not just pray, but here's who you ought to pray for. See, that's what he does. He writes in the script, pray for the lost. He explains to us what that means, but then he also directs us so that we are praying for the people he prompts us to pray for. He's the writer, director of everything that happens so that the play that is produced is the one that God the Father wants produced. Let me give you one more example of how the Holy Spirit is director. And this one is not an example from an individual but from our church collectively. Three or four months ago, we went through John chapter 12. 
This was the story of Mary anointing Jesus' feet with very expensive perfume. Well, if you recognize that that's part of the script, then all of a sudden you realize the Holy Spirit wrote John 12 so that we would know what actions we are supposed to do today. That it's not just FYI, it's not a history book. It's part of the script that we are supposed to live out. And so when I came to John chapter 12, I began to pray, and many of uh, the people here were praying for us, to understand what does that part of the script mean. And the Holy Spirit helped explain that. But then, how do we put John 12 into practice? How does Calvary Church live out John 12? What's the director telling us to do? And so I thought through some different ideas about how we would put John 12 into practice today. I came up with an idea. I decided, well, I should probably run this by the elders of the church. So I sent them a copy of the sermon and what I was going to say, and they did not agree with my suggestion uh, that it was from the Holy Spirit. So I pulled it. And instead, what we agreed to do was to ask the congregation to pray to the Holy Spirit for direction. How do we live John 12 today? And so we began to do that. We prayed during the season of Lent and asked God for direction. We understood what John 12 said and what it meant, but we still needed help in actually reenacting it and living it out today. Well, during that time, a number of people made suggestions from the congregation, and there were lots of really good ideas. But as we met and talked about them, none of them necessarily seemed to resonate as being from the Spirit. That didn't seem to be what the director was telling us to do. Now, meanwhile, in a sort of separate but ultimately related uh, event, there was a group of creative people getting together who were praying through how can we make Holy Week at Calvary meaningful. And they came up with the idea of doing a prayer garden just for Holy Week. So they came to me and said, what do you think about the idea of doing a prayer garden? To be honest, I thought it was a very strange idea. I'd never heard of a prayer garden inside a church. How are you going to have a garden inside a building? But I thought, hey, they're the creative people. They're supposed to come up with creative stuff. That's not really my bent. If it was me, I'd put a laboratory or something in the, in the church. But that's them. They're kind of touchy-feely, so you got to trust them. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. <laughs> so I said, fine. What can it hurt? It's prayer. Can't do anything wrong with that. So I just forgot about it. Well, that is until the week of Holy Week and then that Monday morning, I and other elders began to get bombarded with emails from you saying how meaningful this prayer garden was. And so I was like, oh yeah, that's that thing they talked about a few weeks ago. I was like, I ought to go up and see it. So I walked through it and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Then suddenly a number of people in the congregation began to send in suggestions that perhaps this is how we ought to live out John 12 that maybe this was how the Spirit was leading us. And in fact, one of the elder, other elders sent an email to the rest of us saying, look, this seems to be something from the Lord here. I think God is saying to us, this is how you put John 12 into practice. So on the Tuesday 
after Easter, and I think I shared some of this with you already, we got together as elders, and we sat, and this is literally what we did, we sat on our knees, kneeling, in silence for 10 minutes, simply asking the director, that is the Holy Spirit, to show us, are we living out the script in the right way? Is this how you want this script put into practice in this place? When we got done, elders got up, and we went around the table and said what it is we thought God was, the Holy Spirit was saying to us. And as we went through the discussion, all of a sudden it was unanimous. Not unanimous through silence, but unanimous through each and every elder saying, yeah, that's exactly what God the Spirit seems to be saying to us. And so we said, okay, he's directing us to do a prayer garden on a more permanent basis here at the church. Now here's the part of the story you may not know. When I went away on my study break, I still, the whole idea of a prayer garden still was kind of strange to me. So one of the things I did is I asked the Holy Spirit, help me understand this better. Help me understand how this is really the, a good way to live out John 12. Well, it just so happened that I was going to, I say just so happened, uh, I was going to Wheaton College, and it just so happened that I ended up at lunch with a New Testament professor from Wheaton College who just so happened to have written the NIV application commentary on the book of John, which I had not yet read, who just so happened in that commentary expressed that one of the best ways to live out John 12 today is through these kinds of worship structures. So I find myself sitting across the table from an expert in this, and I say, what do you think about the idea of a prayer garden? And he says, that's a perfect way to live out John 12 today. I came home from my study break, and a few weeks after that, a good friend of mine showed up in my office. And he says to me, I want to tell you a story about this whole extravagant gift. He's like, when you first announced from John 12 that we were going to take up an offering to do something in extravagant worship for Jesus, he's like, I didn't like it. Then when you told us you didn't know what it was going to go to until after we gave the offering, he's like, I really didn't like it. And he's like, I began to get frustrated with you and with the church. And he said to me, my attitude was not good. He's like, but in the middle of that, I felt the Spirit come and very strongly say to me, knock it off. Right. <laughs> the Spirit is also known as Don. No. <laughs> and to my friend's credit, he listened. And he said, hey, look, it's all God's money anyway. What right do I have to demand? If the Spirit's in this, then I should trust. And so he gave. And he said he just waited. And on the Sunday morning, as he's telling me this story, on the Sunday morning when it was announced that it was going to be a prayer garden, he said he started to weep. And that he just knew in his soul that this was right. That this was from the Spirit. See, that's what the Spirit does. He's directing the play. 
He's got all the actors on the stage and he's whispering one thing here and he's causing circumstances to happen there. After all, what are the odds that we end up with a prayer garden, which was clearly not the suggestion I made in the first place, which was not even an idea that I had or any other elder had. What are the odds that I would end up at Wheaton College sitting across from the one guy for whom has done a lot of thinking about this, what are the odds that one of my good friends who I didn't even know was going through this stuff was having the Spirit talk to him about these things? The only explanation is the Spirit's directing the play. That's what he's doing. And that's what he's doing in your life and in mine. You see, Jesus didn't just hand us a bunch of rules. He says, I'm leaving now here trying to figure these out and follow them. What he said is, I'm going to ask the Father to give you a person, a real person with intellect, with will, with emotions, who will live within you, the person of the Holy Spirit, who will write the script, explain it to you on an ongoing basis, and direct everything that you do so that you live out the script in such a way that God the Father's plan for history unfolds the way he wants it done. That's why Jesus says, if you obey, if you follow the promptings of the Spirit who is guiding you into all truth, then Jesus will be the star and the world will see him. Now listen, every analogy and every metaphor has its weaknesses. I just want you to get from this analogy that God the Father is producing history. That from creation, the fall, the calling of Abraham, the old covenant, the coming of Christ, what's going on in the world today, the spread of the gospel, the soon return of Jesus, this is all part of God the Father's sovereign plan for history. And in that sovereign plan, the star actor is Jesus Christ. And the person of the Holy Spirit has been given to us to lead us and guide us in all truth so that we might play our roles as supporting actors in such a way that Jesus is glorified and that the Father is made known. See, Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you in and through the Spirit. And that wherever you and I go this week, this month, this year, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be taking with you the living God of the universe within you, guiding and directing into all truth so that if you will listen to his direction and his promptings, you will live out the role that God has chosen for you to live so that the Son might be glorified, so that the Father might be praised.